Yo, it's Julian on the Brown Note Movie Review Time and Sorcerer. Now, when we talk about the 70s, it's easy to see a group of four American directors as being dominant. George Lucas, Steven Spielberg, Martin Scorsese and Francis Ford Coppola. But there is, um, that's reducing it to uh, a certain kind of retrospective view um, by the middle of the decade, it was two American directors that were really dominant and they represented the more art house, difficult, challenging world of movies. And one was Francis Ford Coppola with The Godfather 1 and 2 and The Conversation, which was an even more austere, oblique film, much artier. And the other was William Freakin. Um, and after the sort of 1975-76 releases of films like Jaws and Star Wars, the whole paradigm changed and these art house films were no longer in vogue. Um, so they fell off and Martin Scorsese sort of appeared on the screen as the new enfant terrible of, of, of art house films. But it was very much Coppola and Freakin. Uh, he's from Chicago, Illinois. And in 1971, the same year as The Godfather came out, it lost Best Picture to Godfather was French Connection, which changed the landscape of cop movies forever. Uh, It's still a challengingly arthouse manner of of depicting a cop procedural, um, but it was still hugely influential. And he um, got lots of awards and it was a massive box office success, but it's not a commercial film. I reviewed it not too long ago on this show and gave it a nine and a half out of ten um and he followed that with the exorcist which again one of the most prominent horror films ever made and that was a box office sensation and very challenging and nominated for loads of oscars as well but his 1977 film sorcerer was uh, almost killed his career dead since then he has made films just not as big or as he had he he came back with cruising in 1980 which again killed his career one of the most controversial films of all time about uh, the gay cruise beat in um, new york when things when new york was really really rough one of the most controversial films picketed by the gay community um i've never watched it but i think one of the reasons is everyone says about how the uh, reaction to it was so strong, but it's not actually a good film. Um, What was a good film was To Live and Die in L.A. I think he redefined the cop paradigm again. um, For He basically invented CSI, Miami CSI, all those films came from that. I think even the lead actor from To Live and Die in L.A. Uh, And since then, he's not done too many films. He did um, Killer Joe, which redefined Matthew McConaughey about 10 years ago as um, being capable of being more than this good-looking rom-com guy. And that was really good, a really challenging film. But back in 1977, he followed a very similar path to Francis Ford Coppola, which was to take on a project and to film it in the jungle and to go graduate... I think it was the famous bit from... um, the documentary on the making of apocalypse now we went we had too much time and too much money and we went into the jungle and little by little we went insane exactly the same thing happened to william freaking um they went off and made this film in the jungle for months and were devastated by weather i think about 55 people left the film because of illness 
all of the actors involved said that it was the most dangerous film they've ever made. They were con- the stuntmen were very angry because they kept using the actors to do all the dangerous stuff. Um, uh, I think six people were removed by the Mexican police for drug offences. They continually lost staff throughout. Everyone got sick. The day after the premiere, William Freakin was diagnosed with malaria. Um, everyone got sick or injured. Um, some people got injured and carried on filming, including the main cast. Um, and the story of the film isn't as well known because Apocalypse Now went on to be this huge colossus and has never wavered. And Sorcerer was always forgotten about. And there are a number of theories, the main one being that uh, I think the guy that um, was involved in making it phoned up William Freakin after he saw the the trailer for the film just before it released came on before Star Wars and no one knew what Star Wars was. And he said he watched the trailer for their film and then this huge sound came into the cinema and kept growing and growing and growing and then this massive space cruiser went overhead and he just basically said to William Freaking, you've got to come and see this, we're dead. And it died at the box office. Um, it didn't get good reviews. And it became lost. Um, a lot of film buffs will love this film. So I'm going to do a review of it now. Um, it's a re- remake of Cluzo's Wages of Fear, which is it's um, that's itself one of the most... George Clouseau, is it? The French director, 1956 or something. His film Wages of Fear is held up as one of the great... Uh, I think it's got 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. One of the great tense action films of all time. It's not. It's it's a suspense film. And it's about four people that are from other places arriving in this desolate town. Uh, they're all on the run for one reason or another. And they end up taking this desperate job to drive two trucks filled with explosives to a remote destination to put out a fire in an oil well. And it's a hugely influential film. I think, um, well, one sequence in the film where they have to drive a truck at something like 55 miles an hour and if they slow down or if they speed up, it will set off a bomb, which is the movie Speed, basically. Um, Very influential film. He wanted to remake it. It's from a book by Georges Arnaud, a French novel called La Salière de la Pure. Uh, another thing that sunk it was it's got one of the worst titles in movie history that fails on every level. Sorcerer is a good word. It has no relationship with the film. It's just the name of one of the trucks painted on the side. So no one knew what the hell it meant. And the fact is he made a film called Exorcist. So everyone either turned away because they didn't want to see another exorcist film from the director or turned up expecting to see a film from the director that was related to exorcist and got this bizarro film and another element that turned people off is that virtually the first half hour is in foreign language so you watch this film for 25 minutes no one says word in english so people it is an english film it's an english language film but to have the opening 25 minutes in foreign languages is, um, is you know, it, it put people off. So it just really crashed and burned after going wildly over budget. So this follows the book and the previous Wages of Fear film quite faithfully. 
and the opening half an hour of the film is one of the great introductory sequences in movie history. We get to see these four people and how they got to be in, I think it's supposed to be a town in Mexico, a, a, a town where I think the director said they chose this place because it looked like a prison. It looked like a prison of poverty where people couldn't escape and took on very dangerous jobs at mine sites where the roads were mud and washed away every time it rained, where everyone was dubious and from somewhere else. And the opening, we see these four characters. We see uh, got a Palestinian terrorist slash freedom fighter in, in, uh, in Jerusalem, I think it is, uh, going on a bus and then you see this huge explosion and you realise that they're terrorists. They've set off a bomb. Um, and then the Israeli Defence Force hunt them down and he manages to escape with his life and flee the country. Uh, there's a, an interesting one where there's this very rich French aristocrat that understands that his business dealings are coming to a head and he's going to jail the next day. And he has one last gasp where he tries to get his brother-in-law to get the rich father of his wife to bail out the company for tens of millions of dollars and it fails and the guy actually shoots himself in the head in the car park. And once he sees this, he's got up from dinner with his wife and he's gone out to meet his brother-in-law and explain that this has got to happen and the brother-in-law knows that it's not going to happen, they're all going to jail and the company is going to be folded up and they'll be all over the newspapers in the next day. And um, once the brother kills himself in the car park, he just, instead of going back to dinner with his wife, leaves the country. And uh, another guy is uh, Roy Schneider, who was the biggest star involved in the film. He's involved in a robbery in a church where a church is collecting bingo money from all around uh, all the other churches in the region, tens of thousands of dollars, and they rob it. But one of the guys with him shoots one of the priests and the priest that they shoot ends up being the brother of uh, the local mafia don. So he flees America. Um, and there's another guy who's a hitman who we find out very little about. All we see at the start is he shoots someone and has to flee whatever part of, I think he's in Veracruz in Mexico. All we see for him is that he shoots someone and then he vanishes. And he appears, all four of them appear in this town doing really menial jobs for a mine site that's nearby and is continually harassed by freedom fighters from Mexico who don't want these foreign companies exploiting their land, exploiting their labour. Um, and they're also hassled continually by the Mexican police who know that they have no legal documentation to be in the country so they basically beat them up and steal their money and say when you work you have to give us one third of your earnings and so on so they they live this it's it reminds me of Jorge, Jorge Luis Borges uh, immortal story from the best short story collection ever fictions or ficciones uh, the Argentinian writer called South it's not quite like South which is a very influential story but it's the notion of being in a desperate situation and leaving it and thinking you've got away but ending up in a more desperate situation. And this happens twice because they leave their desperate situation in whatever country they started, end up in this even more desperate situation. They're not being killed at least, but they're in a desperate situation in town. And then they take on this job, which is actually more dangerous than where they were in the first place. 
So all four of them, basically what happens is the, the freedom fighters in Mexico blow up the oil well. The oil well employs everyone in the town. Uh, it's 200 miles away and people just, you know, get legs chopped off in violent accidents. It's horrendous anyway. But with this blazing inferno going on, the oil company, the American oil company that owns it, has to weigh up what to do, whether or not to shut the whole thing down. The government won't help them. They owe so much in bribes and debts to everyone. They either put out this fire and get the oil well back up and running, or they have to shut the whole thing down. So they find all this um, nitroglycerin-laced TNT, which is um, closer to the town, and they need to transport it to the oil well to blow it up, which will put out the fire, because it's this raging 100-foot-high flames coming straight out of the earth. There's no way of putting it out with conventional means. They need an explosion, a massive explosion. Unfortunately, the TNT hasn't been stored well, so all the nitroglycerine, which will explode on a, a, you know, a sharp jog, or if you drop it on the floor, it's going to blow up. So they have to transport all these boxes of TNT across these incredibly dangerous mud roads and wooden rickety bridges without exploding all this TNT. So they have this um, sort of test in the town to see who's capable of driving these shot-to-pieces ex-army, ex-Korean war trucks without, you know, they put a glass of water on the dashboard and if you don't spill it, you've lived. And obviously the four guys we see at the start are the guys that end up banding together and who take this journey in these two trucks and that's the crux of the film an awful lot happens before they get there that only sort of occupies beyond the halfway point there's so much that happens up until that point um now as a film i think this is an unqualified masterpiece it is it makes no concession to the viewer at all um it's very I saw a review of it saying it's done in a documentary style. It is. It doesn't heighten anything. It doesn't deliberately heighten anything. It doesn't um, sensationalise in the way that it's shot. It's done in a very matter-of-fact way. Uh, the four main guys aren't likeable at all. Um, maybe uh, the Bruno, I think it's Bruno Kremer, the French aristocrat. He's the nicest guy. Everyone else is a pretty horrible human being. I mean, we've seen one one of the guys blowing up civilians for a start, and the other one's a hitman, and Roy Schneider is a, isn't that bad. He's, he was unfortunately caught up in a robbery where some Mafia Don's brother got shot. It wasn't his fault, um, but he had to flee. So they're not very nice people, but no one in the film is nice. There's no one to hang your hat on here. Um, the atmosphere of the village when they arrive is is sensational. It's... I recently watched the film version of Malcolm Lowry's Under the Volcano, where he's in this God-forsaken place, uh, drowning in alcohol. I thought it was a brilliant film starring um, Albert Finney and directed by John Huston. Lots of parallels between the fact... I think they say in the film something along the lines of, I found hell. It isn't Mexico, it's me, basically, and that's kind of it here. Um, it's not the town's fault that it's like it is, but they kind of brought their own individual health with them. Um, it's an aversive film. No one is shown to have any sort of sentimental life at all. These are people that are brutally, desperately clinging to the margins and will take on 
a near suicidal task in order to just to live basically they dangled the carrot that they'll be given uh, a certain amount of money and legal paperwork to stay in mexico which is they're trapped in the town they can't even leave they've not even got enough money to get out of the town and even if they could they can't travel anywhere because they haven't got legal documentation so the oil company comes at them with that and says that we you know we'll give you your legal documents obviously fake ones and will give you money and that to them is the only way out is to take this horrendous journey now if i were to rank those three one of the great three film runs in movie history in order i would put sorcerer ahead of french connection and exorcist as far as filmmaking goes i think it's the best film william freaking has ever directed Every single scene, apart from the last 10 seconds, which I didn't like and I didn't think were necessary, but 10 seconds at the end is not going to kill it for me. Just It just didn't seem necessary. Every scene is perfect. It's so atmospheric. The directorial skill of the opening montage of the four characters coming together is incredible. Um, it's so It's just perfect filmmaking. Shot framing, everything about this film is amazing. The cinematography by John M. Stevens and Dick Bush. Uh, John M. Stevens had to leave the project because he wasn't good enough. And I think Dick Bush took over because the jungle scenes, he wasn't getting enough light. And everything was filmed on location. There's no sets used in the film. It looks amazing. Absolutely incredible. From a very vividly portrayed Mexican town where people just are hanging off the bar and the streets of brown mud and often erupting into violence as the locals attack the military, you know, for siding with the oil company over their dead relatives and all of this sort of stuff. It's, it's, it's brilliantly portrayed. It's hard-edged as films are, but if you've seen The French Connection, you know what's coming. It is an extremely hard-edged film. It doesn't have that winning personality of Popeye Doyle by Gene Hackman. Everyone is a much more subdued character in it, but everyone is really good. There isn't a bad actor in this film. Everyone is memorable and everyone is really good. And it has that incredible kaleidoscope opening. It has a very interesting midsection where they're working on the uh, on the oil station and where they're being persecuted by the police and arrested and where the characters sort of come together. And then when the oil station is attacked and blown up, um, where they're trying how they're trying to work out how to deal with this and then the final third bit longer is this incredibly suspenseful journey in these two beaten up trucks and it's almost, it reminded me of Spartacus there's a great part of Spartacus where the gladiators are training and it's all very sort of quick edits as one thing happens and another thing happens very perfunctory things but it's so beautifully and poetically put together here it's them building these trucks because they have to salvage parts from every other truck just to make something that works. And it's a very literal film in watching them do all of this and it's so brilliantly put together. You almost want to applaud the skill of the director for the timing of the edits and the framing of the shots and the cinematography and the colour and the lighting and everything is so brilliantly put together. Another real high point, they use... A lot of really good music choices in this film but one of the most revolutionary is half of it is the soundtrack by german kraut rock pioneers and electronic music soundtrack pioneers tangerine dream this was the first film to have a tangerine dream soundtrack 
which works brilliantly. And after this Tangerine Dream and their their synthesizer-led soundtracks were throughout the 80s. Very, very influential soundtrack. Um, I thought the um, the suspense as the uh, the most famous uh, sequence in the film is when they go over this rickety bridge. is one of the great suspense sequences in movie history. Uh, as these two giant trucks go over this bridge, you wouldn't even walk over in a monsoon with a raging river barely a few feet below them. It's an incredible sequence that would rank against any suspense sequence in any film. It's absolutely magnificent and was a nightmare. It took three months to film and something like, in today's money, $20 million to film. Um, it's incredible that they actually managed to do this. And they use the actors in the sequence and you can see that and it makes all the difference. They taught them all how to drive these trucks. There are so many interesting, unexpected things that happen along the way as well. And it's a film about fate, and it's a film about these people that have escaped one fate, but fate finds them again. And they're in an even more dangerous situation. No matter what they do, fate will find them. And it's a very fatalistic movie as well. There's no happy endings waiting for these people. Uh, their past will always catch up with them, even if it's not literally their past in some other way the choices they've made will hunt them down um, i think it's an outright masterpiece and like i said the best film directed by william freaking so i'm going to give sorcerer a nine and a half out of ten same score i gave to french connection and i think to french connection too so sorcerer nine and a half out of ten i'm going to